Hello friends, this is the Overview Effect podcast with James Perrin. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome. I hope you enjoy big picture conversations about nature and community. And if you're a return listener, I hope you're enjoying the show. You know, this is the first episode that I am releasing after the initial launch. So I launched a few weeks ago with a bit of an introduction as well as a conversation with Mara from the Australian Conservation Foundation and Charlie, a regenerative farmer. And I've had some really beautiful feedback from people with the initial launch of the show. Look, for anyone who has left a a review or commented on Instagram or hit me up personally and given me some positive feedback, I've just got to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for enjoying the show. You know, this is something that I have been doing just because I love it and I'm enjoying sitting down with people and having deep and inspiring conversations with them. But the fact that I get to record it and share it with people and people are enjoying it just absolutely puts a smile on my face. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now, my guest today. My guest today is... Not your average garbage man. Let's just put it like that. And he's also self-confessed not an eco-warrior. Yet his organization, the Seabin Project, is responsible for the removal of over 1 million kilograms of pollution from our oceans and waterways. There are over 800 sea bins installed in dozens of countries around the world and growing, and they've really taken the world by storm. And the true power of the Seabin project is is not just rubbish removal. You know, it's not just a, an ocean cleanup crew here to pick up all of our garbage. They are so much more than that. They have this incredible ability to build and rally community behind a common cause in a really inspiring and positive, uplifting way. And I can personally vouch for that because I had the absolute pleasure a few years ago of presenting at one of their events called the Summit to Sea in Byron. And I can tell you that that audience was the most engaged audience I've ever been involved in, let alone spoken in front of. And this conversation today is is not just kind of how I built this and what Seabin does, but my guest today talks about the way he views the world why he's doing what he's doing and how he just he didn't let the idea of getting started stop him you know we've all had these ideas or we've heard these ideas that we think man someone should do that that's such a great idea but getting from point a to point b just seems like such an enormous leap well i can tell you my guest today didn't think like that he just took that first step and just dived straight in And it's a beautiful example of how just taking that first step can just cascade into a multitude of other benefits. So look, that's enough from me. Let's get straight in. Please enjoy this conversation with co-founder and CEO of the Seabin Project, Pete Siglinski. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Let's do it. Go for it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I was saying before we started, before I started recording, the inspiration for the show being the overview effect, um, and I always like to start there, asking the question of, have you had a time in your life, or a, 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 either a single experience or even a period of time where you've kind of seen the world differently. Like you've had something that's shaped your perspective on the world and has really influenced, I guess, the way that you interact with the world. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, um, I've had two actually. Um, most recently was when I, when we first had our first baby boy and, and uh, these new emotions started to creep into my life that I never knew about and, and your value of life and your respect for others, uh, I guess, is enhanced greatly Mm. Uh, so that was it puts a new perspective on things absolutely Um, and you hear everyone banging on about all the time you're like yeah whatever yeah and then you have one (laughs) you're like oh 
this is what they're talking about. Yeah, for me, that, that moment was the first time when I reflect on having my son um, and now daughter. It's like the first time that you start living for someone else, like truly. You know, the first time you start really yeah. doing things and caring for someone other than yourself. Like, we can all say that we're selfless, and to an extent we are, but when you have kids, you're like truly selfless. Yeah, it takes on a new meeting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can't even understand the the decision-making of, like, an extreme athlete or, you know, someone that surfs, like, big waves or does rock climbing and how that having kids or a family is going to affect their career because if mm. they fall off that cliff, you know, they're not going to be there to support their kid. And yep. So, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that, that was one of the big ones. But the other big one was it actually ties back to Seabin and... Um, like I'm, I'm a bit of a late starter in life with a lot of things. Um, I'm 43 next month, and I've, you know, we started late to have a family, but it's all, you know, you you are where you're at in life for a reason. And uh, but I started Seabin Project in 2016, and that was the first time in my life where I was in a position to help others and not just myself. And but I was conscious of of this for well since I was 18 I reckon since I left school and and started tried to find a career or a job or a purpose and most of the time I wasn't even looking for purpose I was just having a good time and mm. you know making money to buy surfboards and go to Bali and travel and and uh but then I think in the mid-20s up until 2016 um that was my mid-20s not the 1920s <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, I'd been looking of how I could build purpose into my life, but I didn't really know how to, and I didn't really put it as a priority either. And it was only until I found out about my mate who invented the C-bin that um, I could start ticking off all these little boxes for myself uh, that was actually for others as well. Mm. So I could, um, you know, help the environment. Uh, I could, you know, help marine animals and help other people with a better value of life through the simple act of having less pollution uh and then yeah so I, I guess that was the two moments where possibly that overview effect came in and um to be honest i'd never labeled it or or thought of a terminology for it until you approached me which is pretty cool actually because it kind of encapsulates a lot of all of that yeah mm. awesome man yeah um one other thing that you were saying just before we recorded was that um had you known what you were getting yourself into, you probably never would have started. <laughs> and when you just said, like, reflecting on that that second moment, was like you actually felt like you had this opportunity to do something and act upon it and start the business. But um, yeah. how much, I guess, how much would you have, would naivety, how much has naivety helped you in that? <laughs> As you were saying. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I honestly, like, you know from that quick conversation but reflecting back like we didn't know what we're doing we yeah. sort of still don't we we know that there's a big issue of plastics in the oceans but um if i hadn't known kind of how big this was and what what it, not even how big it was because that's exciting if i had known the amount of work and effort and pain and and being broke and just scrabbling to survive was involved i might not have taken that first step mm. and so naivety uh, naivety for me was just taking that leap of faith jumping into the deep end and mm. just going for it and and that's that's been the basis for everything that's yeah just yeah it's kind of like having a kid too really isn't it yeah like <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that look at that like with criticism like oh you should have known what you're doing and you're like well i didn't but i just gave it a go and you know how many how many people have had an idea that they probably thought about it too much and done themselves out of the idea with worry and and you know perfect planning or yeah. whatever and not just going for it just go for it and you know what when you um I feel like when you're a kid and teenager and young adult, you look up to um, other adults 
and successful people and parents and whatever and you go wow you know they're adults and they're grown up and they figured it out and then you become an adult and a parent or a business owner or whatever yourself and you realize that nobody has any idea what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) absolutely man i've had that so many times thinking back about childhood memories of what my dad and his mates and whoever were doing i was like yeah they're all over this and then i think back and i'm like they were cowboys (laughs) how are they still alive (laughs) Uh, um so look i'm sure that uh any listeners know about CBIN and what a CBIN is I mean I don't know if I have if I'm going to have any listeners like maybe my mum and dad but um, but I've heard you describe it uh, as a a cross between a garbage bin and a pool skimmer <laughs> which is awesome um, but I mean you've, you've hit some awesome milestones lately um, can you just share a little bit on some of the recent stuff that CBIN project's been up to maybe first and foremost the crowdfund which was pre-pandemic right yeah absolutely I, I might even just take it back one step and um like for anyone that doesn't know what the CBIN is like that's a pretty good description but if you imagine the you got like a the pool skimmer slash garbage bin um you know the, you, you skim the surface of the water you pump it out the bottom and then in the middle you have a filter and and that's essentially what we did but the only different thing i guess that we did was we made it bigger and um we put it in the ocean well not in the ocean but in marinas um and uh, ports and yacht clubs and lakes and rivers uh that were connected to the ocean and and we figured uh we, we would start closer to the source of the problem because the ocean is so big and volatile uh anything that you put in the ocean man-made is going to be destroyed or you know, it's going to fail and we figured if we start close to the source of the problem uh it'd probably be a bit easier <laughs> yeah. and we quickly found out that the source of the problem is us it's me and, and mm. it's you and you know it's your friends and your family and it's just humans uh and you know how, how we use plastics is not ideal and uh, but yeah that that's how we started and then um yeah so what did we do we uh well, since since we kind of started Seabin, we've we've always run off our own bat. Like, it's quite um, yeah. We we get we do get a bit envious when you see other outfits like the Ocean Cleanup, and you know they've got like this budget of forty two million euros or something, <laughs> and and you're like, I could solve the world's problems with that. I'm <laughs> sure of it. And and you know we we started with a seed capital of uh, three hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars, which was our you know that was the entire like money that we had which was that was for us was huge you know in the the bigger picture it's nothing but it's a good chunk of money and but we realized that people had concerns for the environment and people also wanted to see solutions because i guess the timing for us was pretty good because there's like a prevention and an awareness level that had become or was becoming saturated Mm. Uh, we had children six-year-olds giving us statistics on on plastics and you think well if this six-year-old's telling me this like they're pretty knowledgeable we must know what the problem is so how come we're not maybe transition that energy to solutions and really try and fix it and and, but use everything you know use cleanup use technology use prevention awareness um, consolidate that into one big solution and go for it and so that's what we did and um, over the years we kind of we realized we needed to um we we need money really like we had a choice we could be for profit or not for profit and i made a conscious decision to be for profit to make money because in my in my weird crazy mind um money isn't evil Mm. business is not evil there is some businesses that are and that can be it's just how you choose to operate as a business and 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 fortunately, I'd read the book "Let My People Go Surfing" by Patagonia, which is like my man crush sort of yep. thing. And I was like, "Well, if those guys, they're pretty cool. Like they can they can go for a surf, and they can have purpose, and they can still sell stuff, and and they can buy a house. You know, they can pay the rent, and they can support their family. And you know, so that was like, well, if you're if you're not for profit, you got to beg for money. Yeah." Like, what do you want to beg for money for? And then there's probably terms and you've got to dictate how you're going to spend that money. And I was like, I don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> like, yeah, it was a selfish little decision there. I was like, I want to do what I want to do, you know. And um, and we figured that 
whatever we did, we'd just we'd be like Patagonia, but on a micro level of we'll do it for the right reasons and we'll be good about what we do. And and so um, it didn't really sit well with a lot of people, mainly in impact investors. And and I got really not pissed off, but a bit disillusioned that these investors are putting impact in front of their names and but they weren't investing in us and i was like well we're doing a lot of good mm. yeah we have tangible impact we have five million dollars worth of product in the water i'm like how come these impact investors are not getting behind us and and then i realized that you know our priority is not everybody's priority and when they when you got an investor there's a lot of responsibility on money and and our business model is not for everyone and then i realized that you know where we are not for everyone and so we had to reevaluate how are we going to scale ourselves up and bring on some substantial money if a big money guy is not going to invest in us. And then I realised that we got seed funded by kids and teenagers and, and parents giving us like 10 bucks and 6 bucks, mm. And we gave them hats and stickers and, and T-shirts. It was crowdfunding through Indiegogo. And I was like, well... Let's do the same, but let's give them shares, you know, and let's let's keep it like low risk. Um, you know, we if it's two hundred and fifty bucks minimum buy, and hopefully that's not going to break the bank, and then you're not going to lose your house. Yeah. Um, but if we get like three thousand people giving us five hundred bucks, or you know, two hundred and fifty bucks, like that's going to add up, and it it all comes back to this. We, we start to see pattern in our in our life of um, scaling. We start with one sea bin, we collect one kilo, and then it starts to add up. And that's what we did with our equity crowdfunding. And and one week before COVID happened, we'd raised a million dollars in four days. Like it was Amazing. just nuts. <laughs> and I was I was stoked. Like I still am. I'm just like it was incredible. And um, we were on track to literally raise five mil um, through equity crowdfunding uh, by law you're you're only allowed to raise five mil in a 12-month period in a calendar year and I was and we set our, ma- set our max to three mil and I was like well if we can raise a mil in a week we've got another four weeks to do this thing like we can do three mil for sure and I was like and we'll do another one and we'll just see what happens but I was pretty confident and then and then corona kicked in and and it was like the world had nearly ended because um, the stock markets uh, sank to historic rock bottom and then the next day they were like historic, you know, through the roof. And then the next day it was like this roller coaster of extreme highs and lows and, and some of the high net worths that had kind of pledged like seven figures and, and a little bit more um, had... Um, they'd stop trading they they didn't buy they didn't sell they just sort of knuckled down and and you know rode out the coronavirus which is i'd do the same thing yeah. <laughs> anyone would and uh but yeah it was like this massive slow burn uh for the next oh, what was it four weeks or something um and we raised another seven hundred and ten thousand dollars uh, which brought us to a grand total of 1.71 mil with uh, nearly 1,600 investors. And and for us, you know, that's just insane um, how, that we could do that. And uh, we, we actually made the news of how we could succeed and raise money during a global pandemic. Yeah. It was just insane. And what I think what that showed to us was that people saw the pandemic as short-term, like it's serious people were dying and they still are and it's still serious and we don't even know what the knock-on effects of this will be and for how long but people see it as temporary and they see the environment that sustains us is long term yeah and so people are investing long term yeah man and and it's i don't know maybe maybe it's not but i was gonna say maybe it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise because um rather than have well, certainly your, your, your model is instead of having a few big corporate or big high net worth investors, you've got this massive community support, right? That's something that I've always noticed about like the way that you do your events and um, the way that you engage community. Your business, it doesn't actually even sell to the public. The evens you sell it to what government and yacht clubs and things like that, but you have this massive 
public community support for all of your events and all your fundraisers and volunteers and things like that. So I think you've done a really amazing job at creating a brand and that, that connects and cultivates community behind a cause. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's an accidental brand. <laughs> I, I've never done marketing or I've never had a business before, but we, you know, we built something that people could emotionally and you know, tangibly connect to. And and when when we had a couple of these conversations in the early stages, you know, everyone was like, "Well, who's your high net worth? And you know, how can we get five hundred k to a million dollars off each one?" And and I was thinking, if we hit our max with three high net worths, we've made the money but we don't have much of a voice. Mm. And and I was thinking, how do we do this properly? What, what's the perfect scenario? And I figured the more investors we had, the more voice we have to lobby our agenda. Yeah. And if we can get any you know minimum investment was a million dollars maximum we set to three, which could have been the uh, extra two. And I was like, well, if we're going to hit our targets, how are we going to do this? And we like, well, we need the most investors we can. And so we focused on my mates, my parents, their friends, just regular people. Mm. And and that seems to be this uh, common pattern, another common pattern of that regular people are wanting to be part of a bigger solution. And, and this is how we're going to win the war on environmental crises and all sorts of stuff with people getting together and rallying behind a, a common agenda. Um, because if you think about it, like, if I go and lobby the city of Sydney, it's just me, there's one guy, and they'll be like, yeah, mate, good one, I'll get back to you. <laughs> yeah, mate, no worries. But if we lobby 1,500 to 3,000 or more people, mm. they have to take notice. Yeah. Because if they don't, they'll probably get voted out and they'll lose all the houses that you know they've got mortgages on and... You know, they lose votes and they, they lose their career. And so they have to listen to the to, to a bigger voice. Yeah. That's actually one of the... I used to, in a previous life, I used to be a, a street fundraiser for an environmental charity. So I'd be the guy out there canvassing you, trying to get your credit card details on the street, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> full hustle. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a hustler. Um, but that was one of the kind of, um, I guess, lines, not tactics, but it, like it, genuinely true and I believed in it is that it's more than just your money, it's your voice. You know, I could, we could go after, I don't know, however many thousand dollars from a person that day, or I could get 10 people or 20 people donating 50 or 100 bucks each. And then I've got this pool of voices that have added their name to this cause. So exact same sort of thing. When you can rally the community, it has a more just, or, or a different kind of power behind just the money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, imagine if you're a politician and you ignored your community for you know however long you're in power or whatever, and it comes voting time, like that guy's a douche. You know, <laughs> let's get rid of him. <laughs> let's find someone that listens to us. Yeah. And and that's that was my strategy. Um, it was unintentional, and then I realised the power of it, and then it has become intentional, um, but for good reasons. Mm. You know, and 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 so we're we're actually currently in the middle of lobbying an entire city using our shareholders in our community, um, you know, to, to deploy services and education and prevention campaigns and packages, including the technology, to to literally look after an entire city's waterfront. And then the goal for us is then to scale globally. And, you know, so we're, we're yeah, we, we've got multiple agendas and communities are in on it because it's a good thing. Yeah. So is that the, is that the Sydney City pilot? that you're talking about there yeah yeah so we we just talking about that, that. What's, um, what's different about that compared to i guess your previous business model um well for one thing we had um eight weeks of planning instead of like normally two weeks or three weeks <laughs> <laughs> but uh when when we started this um we were really fortunate to have a viral video that had like more than a billion views and and so it got us a lot of attention and uh the 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 quickest way for us to make money was to sell things. And so the quickest way to sell things was not to the government because they're the like, you know, <laughs> the slowest. slowest. <laughs> yeah. Glacial speed uh, is how I'd, you know, how, how I'd phrase like the speed of how they operate. And so the quickest one was a private marina, was a, a port or a yacht club. And so we 
we're like, well, let's just sell these things, and we and we did, and we've survived for you know since 2018. Um, you know, we we got like, I think we're operational in 53 countries now, um, and uh, and then we realised that, like, from a business sense, like just selling one thing is good, but it could be even better because if you had like an ongoing recurring revenue you can make more money and then i was thinking hang on now you sound like capitalist pig like (laughs) why we want to make more money and i'm thinking well we need to invest that into the business to make a better cbin to to make it smarter to to even make it bigger and make a bigger impact because if we're going to scale we need money and we need to be sustainable and so we found that if we can offer we're not going to sell the cbins to someone in, in the perfect business model, we have state federal funding from the Australian government to then allow us to deploy sea bins into host marinas for free. And the thinking behind that is that it's not the marina's rubbish, it's everybody's rubbish. And if you have the rubbish bins on land, why don't we have them in the water? Mm. And if the rubbish bins on land are being serviced and the council truck comes along and we're paying for that, how come it's not the same situation in the water? And so we've literally started to do that um, by the, uh, the Sydney City pilot where um, we're creating employment. We've employed a, well, we created a new position, which is pretty cool, mm. the Enviro Technician, which is, um, it's uh, basically the core of duties of the Enviro Technician is to look after the sea bins, but to not be hypocrites and say that the sea bins are going to fix everyone's problems, um, we built into the position uh, prevention, awareness, education, data monitoring, and essentially becoming like a, a champion of the environment or an ambassador of the brand. Mm. And uh, and then we literally just self-funded it and took this big plunge of naivety again (laughs) and uh, have got our fingers crossed that if we do this properly then the city uh, are going to buy into it and then start funding it but we kind of figured if if we're going to wait for the city to drop a bit of funding and help us it might take two or three years but if we just did it and then got people behind it Mm. hopefully they'll take notice and you know, we're kind of backing ourselves so we have a bit of confidence and, and they would also take that on board as part of their decision-making. So Awesome. And that's recently kicked off, so that's like brand new, that program, right? Yeah, last last week or the week before, yeah. um, 1st of July was like a bit of a soft launch. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Tom's out there. He's down there today in Sydney. It's bucketing down rain. He's blasting around and changing the units every day. Um, we so far we've been averaging about 20 to 25 community engagements every day people are stopping us mm. what are you doing how come you're doing that or they've seen it on the news and they want to know how much plastics in the water how can yes. they get involved can we volunteer our time um, you know how, how can we be a part of this and, yeah. and that's a huge thing is for the community to take notice and, and to get involved and then we started to find that uh, on average, oh, it's about 10 kilos. So we're, what are we getting? We must be getting like a wheelie bin a day in calm weather of stuff we're pulling out, say 40 to 60 ki- uh, kilos a day. Wow. You know, so that's what, I don't know, 260, 300 kilos a week. Yeah. Times that by a year. Like wow. It's, it's adding up. And, yeah. and I love that you've built in the, um, into Tom's role, the community awareness engagement data monitoring can you imagine if like we had that with our bins on land like if you if your garbage (laughs) truck driver was out there talking to you about what's in your bin you know how much is it logging the data about where how much waste we're generating where it's going like that's that's an amazing element it's not just epic yeah it's not just to empty the bin it's having those conversations and educating and making people aware. And that's such an amazing element to build into that role. Yeah, well, we, we had two strategies. The first one was that um, we don't want just like a garbage man, you know, mm. like or a garbologist, I think is the official terminology, um, because there's more to it. And, uh, and we also don't want to just clean up, like, because mm. there's more to that. You shouldn't be cleaning up. You know, and that's where the prevention, awareness, education and, and data comes into mm. it. And we just figured if we can just bundle it all, all into one, you know, it gives this position a lot of purpose and meaning and 
and and it's the right thing to do yeah yeah well as you say you're not just people's cleanup crew i mean i think i read is it your vision i hope i get the word statement right but is it it's like a world without sea bins yeah is that right yeah yeah we're <laughs> we're in what is it we're, we're doing ourselves our business model is to do ourselves out of business yeah and and i was aware of that at the start because like that's cool we'll just go and apply our minds and creativity and experience to something else and you know take that on but like we we my opinion is that plastic is amazing um humans and using plastic is less than ideal and we're definitely if we were smarter we wouldn't be throwing plastics away we'd be reusing it we wouldn't have plastics in our oceans and we wouldn't have a need for sea bins and Mm. so that's the perfect scenario is a, a closed loop um, you know, of using a, a fantastic material. There's definitely a lot of aspects of plastic that can be um, made a lot better in terms of you know, leaching toxins and poisons and stuff. But you know, it's a malleable material that we've built our entire lives around, and you know, we, we need to learn to adapt and use this stuff properly. Mm. Um, it's got a value. So on that, on the the closed loop thinking. I mean, you're a industrial designer by background so before Seabin you were you were designing basically a lot of these plastic products right kitchen appliances (laughs) (laughs) toasters kettles (laughs) and 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 the the, like the amazing thing about um, designers is that you guys put so much thought and energy into how the product is going to be used how people are going to interact with it the functionality the aesthetic like every element of it in any time during, I guess, your training, through your experience working as a designer or that design process, is any of that thought, similar thought and consideration given to the end of life of that product? Um, when, when I was an industrial designer, it was early 2000, and I've never been like an activist or an environmentalist or sustainability was never on my horizon i never thought about this stuff i kind of i actually took a lot of stuff for granted like as a human i enjoyed ocean and i didn't want to see rubbish on the beach but um as a designer we kind of we didn't think about it too much and even if we did think about it we were dictated by other people's terms of price point Mm. and why are we only selling someone once one thing when we can sell them the same thing every year because this shitty product's broken down and and it had a life you know there was a lifespan if the lifespan was dictated by price or by a fashionable color or by a fashionable style you know there was there was different reasons for it and there are so many variables that was just yeah i mean I, i was so bummed about it like i was always trying to simplify things and and uh you know it it didn't go down well and i Mm. was bummed and i just felt it was time to move on and and put that behind me but little did i know that yeah that was a critical life skill that i would use 15 years later yeah Uh, yeah and you can apply that i guess that same thinking in the how this product is going to be used and how people are going to interact with it to your business and your business model of how are our our business operations going to work and how are people going to interact with it and what's the kind of life cycle of the business model right and that's kind of yeah. by the sounds of it what you're doing with the um not just creating the bins and putting them in and having someone service them but the whole education and community awareness piece around it which i guess is was the the foundation element to your business as well right yeah and that and that all stemmed from selfishness like seriously (laughs) that was me like not wanting to be a hypocrite that was my unconscious decision of um i could have let like when when our video went viral um people were rejoicing online that the sea bins were going to save the oceans the sea bins are going to save the world there was a lot of criticism as well um but um like i could have just rolled with that and Mm. been like yeah the sea bins are going to fix all our problems i'm your savior I'm yeah yeah Steven's yeah, your savior blah 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 and I was like well hang on no that's not correct you know technology shouldn't be saving us we should be saving ourselves and uh and I I I realized that we had 
the power of communication because like at the time you know if you saw something on facebook it's got to be official right you know <laughs> and so people were benchmarking things they saw on facebook and we had the power of communication because more than a billion people saw the video mm. and i was like well we didn't monetize it like we made a conscious decision not to monetize the videos um for multiple reasons but um and i was like well we got the power of communication so let's tell the right message and and everything came back to education everything was like well you know, you think of something. What could the be? What could the solution be? It always boils down to being smarter. Mm. Education, not having a need to throw plastics in the water, and and so everything just came back from a selfish decision of not wanting to be a hypocrite and and trying to tell the right story, which is um, technology is not going to save us. Yeah. So I mean, really, your your business isn't to make and sell sea bins. You're an educational an education and awareness organization that uses the Siebens as the vehicle for that, right? So Yeah, but we never knew that. Like, <laughs> well, we, we just yeah. knew we needed to sell things to yeah. make money to pay rent and, you know, like move out of a factory that I was living in and actually have a semi-normal life. <laughs> but, um, like, no, nah, man, like this has just been a, like a, a, how do you call it, like a project in uh, in development, you mm. know, it's like an, an evolution um we never set out with the intention that hey we're going to be a foundation and then we're going to do this and this and that but we like focusing on kids was because adults weren't listening to us Mm. like you know i'm 43 next month and and if and if you came to me and said oh you need to do this this and that to change your life and then everything would be better i'd be like bugger off mate i'm i've got my own you know i've made up my mind on this and that and i'll think about it but i probably won't do it what you're saying and and then we're like, well, but if we speak to the kids, like, they're kind of like you know, blank slates. Like we can lay the foundations of you know, positive change early on. Mm. And the best thing was that those kids would be bugging their parents with our message. You know, like use, uh, don't use single use, or refuse a straw, or bring a, um, a reusable bag. Like mm. you know, they're the ones that are going to be pain in the ass to the parents <laughs> and force them into change because they just want like you know chill and and relaxation with our kids and yeah. and so we focused on kids and then it led to education and that led to you know data which we didn't think people would take us seriously if we didn't have data mm. and and now it's been our business model is transitioning to be data driven yeah we got c-bins but you know we need data but to get the data we need the technology the hardware and because um, you know, the, we kind of found that there's a lack of baseline data with microplastics in upstream, and yep. people need it to make decisions and to quantify solutions. You know, if you, if you as a, a business decided that you're going to, um, I don't know, phase out some kind of material, we can we can measure that, the success of your solutions by literally capturing and counting how many plastic bags are in the water, you know, before the bag ban, during, and then after. And so it's a, it's pretty powerful actually. Yeah, man, that's huge. That's huge. And combining that with the, the educational programs that you're doing with kids, um, there's so many different places you could go with that. I mean, what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the specific projects that you do with the foundation and the educational stuff? Uh, sp- specifically, we do a lot of um, STEM workshops. So we'll go to a... Like a, we, we get a lot of people reaching out on social media and emailing us through the website. It's like, hey, you know, you guys are doing this C-bin stuff and, you know, we have a, a STEM curriculum and, you know, or we have engineering for the kids and or we do marine science. And they're like, you guys are doing all this sort of stuff. Can you come and do a presentation? Like, we always say yes. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice. It's actually really fun. Um, they're a pretty critical crowd, though, the teenagers and the and the young ones but um and and so we literally will we'll take the ocean to the kids in the classroom with a fish tank and a mini sea bin that we um 3d printed and then we have a powerpoint slides and we bring in the rubbish we've collected and everyone can kind of get hands on and check it out and and then uh we we do a lot of conferences and presentations we do community activities where like we, we there's a lot of back-end stuff like office and you get 
you get pretty frustrated being in the computer and being confined to the office and and so we literally use these not-for-profit activities to have a bit of fun in our life mm. <laughs> you know we're like let's have an outdoor event and we'll screen 2040 and then we'll do a panel discussion and we'll we'll showcase recycling technologies and you know this is how we're building fun into our sort of office culture and and it's and it's really fulfilling and and it's also the right thing to do again mm. um, but yeah educational stuff um, we get a lot of uh, pensioners and the pensioner groups a lot of church groups yeah, wow. like Lions Club Rotary uh, all these other ones and that but they're all they all have the same thing they have a concern for the environment and for their families because uh, you know everyone's got a family or mm. sisters brothers children and that and people are worried I think the thing that it shows is that um yeah, there is a lot of negativity around there, particularly with environmental doom and gloom. Um, but offering not just a solution, I'm going to fix it, but a educational awareness, engaging fun, you know, throwing some fun into it, throwing some education and inspiration into it. It's an amazing to see the support that different community groups and people get behind that and coming with a different message rather than the world's going to end or <laughs> you know we're all going to have to dramatically change every aspect of our lives it's like actually do you know what we, we're all in this together and we can band together and solve this problem yeah. it's a really refreshing point of view and it just it's, it gathers so much more momentum than i guess that old way of talking about environmental issues yeah that 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 also stemmed from a selfish decision of um like I was just sick of seeing dead animals and being fed half information to suit agendas of, you know, everything's bad, everything's doom and gloom. And I was like, these people are making me depressed, you know, <laughs> like, this sucks. Like yeah. I understand shock tactics and all that shit, but why make you, why make people feel bad about themselves? And then it know? actually makes people disengage because they yeah. go, I can't watch this unfollow or delete, or I'm not even gonna. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I actually reached out to Flowhive and um i think it was cedar messaged me back and i was like how do you guys do that like how did you raise 15 or 12 mil or something and he goes make people feel good about themselves mm. and i was like shit that's like the opposite of what we're supposed to do you know because traditionally it's like let's show dolphins cut open you know yeah. let, let's let's show everyone the guts of some animal and and this and that and i was like well i was like how the hell we do that when we collect garbage and it's gross and it's shitty <laughs> And then I thought about it and I was like, well, what's the outcome of getting this crap out of the water? And the outcome is it'll be cleaner. Yeah. And I was like, well, let's focus on positive outcomes and, and let's not, um, you know, use shock tactics on people. Let's make, make people feel good about themselves and stay positive. And, and that was kind of not revolutionary in the kind of conservation world, but not many people were, you know, making showing positive things because i guess shock tactics worked mm. or I, don't, I don't know but i was off it i yeah. <laughs> so yeah. i was like well let's stay positive be clear and another thing that i was really conscious of was you know let, let's not let's invest in um prevention education you know all this sort of stuff and but let's turn off the tap on land while we also clean up and and that like we had so many critics in the not-for-profit world of like, you know, you guys are promoting technology and this and that. And we're like, no, we promote technology and prevention. It has to be one. It has to be the two things together. It can't be one or the other. Why can't we just put both together? And that was what we did. Mm. And I was like, well, why aren't more people doing that? Yeah. I don't know. But that, that just seemed to work. You yeah. Know, unconsciously, we didn't know what we're doing, but we just felt it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Awesome, man. It's a it's a, an amazing story and an amazing example of using something really inspiring and uplifting or taking that approach, something that could be all doom and gloom, but spinning it in a way or presenting it in a way that is actually really inspiring and uplifting. Um, I, I pray for the day or I look forward to the day when you put yourself out of business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. I was, and I was thinking about it, I was like, that's pretty bold, man. Like, what if we get an investor that's like, how come you're doing yourself out of business? And I was thought, maybe it's a good filter. <laughs> you know, maybe we don't want that investor that's just like, Mr. Give me my return on investment. Yeah. 
Well, what's your, that's your measure of success. Your measure of success isn't to be super rich and wealthy. Your measure of success is to clean up the oceans or actually yeah. prevent the plastic from going in there in the first place. Yeah, or at least, you know, give it a good hard go yeah. and start the foundations now. And uh, I reckon it's going to be like 70 to 100 years before we start seeing the change that we expect, you know, immediately. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it's a good experience. It was a good journey. And, yeah, we're all having a lot of fun and we're all learning on a daily basis and yeah, as as professionals as much as humans and um you know we're all evolving with this project it's really shaped me as a human um, mm. which is great awesome so what can uh what can people do you know like hearing your story if people either are aware of seepin but aren't engaged with it with kind of what you guys are doing or if they want to learn more or even just what are some things that they can do um, themselves around preventing the plastic pollution problem in their lives what are some of the steps that people can take well I think I think the biggest one is that you don't have to wait for others and you don't have to join our mission to make change you know you you can everyone has the capabilities to make your own little difference by just refusing single-use plastics um, that's the biggest thing if you know if there's the if there's one call to action it's be the change that you want to see mm. and take those little steps and then you know if we're going to divulge on it and you know do a call to action how can you help our mission mm. um you can literally just go to the website sign up to a newsletter and just follow us on social media and every now and then when we do a shout out of like hey you know can we can we get behind this campaign can we get a signature? Can we get, you know, can, can you sign this petition or something? You know, that, that's when we need, we really need support. Um, and we're not asking for money. We just need, you know, your support, like, just to help the agenda and lobby, mm. you know, the decision makers. That's our, that's our greatest challenge. And, and we just need people to help us through supporting us, um, you know, We've got the foundation. It runs on, you know, financial contributions. So, yes, there is a an option to help financially with donations and that. But, but for us, the biggest one is just help lend your voice to our mission mm. through the website. Sign up, and that's our biggest call to action. Awesome, man! Amazing. Well, congratulations. I didn't even mention the the congratulations on you, the recently you ticked over a million kilograms of. Oh waste collected in your sea bins all around the world which is just an incredible milestone so congratulations yeah, yeah thank you that's um man I, I totally forgot about that because we were <laughs> launching this city pilot and then uh dylan who we've just onboarded for digital marketing he's like hey boys you know you just ticked over a mil million kilos i was like oh shit <laughs> like, how many milestones can you put in a week <laughs> yeah but like we we started at zero and our global average is per unit at the moment is 3.9 kilos um, of litter per day per unit and so we have more than 900 so it's uh, it's around 3.6 tons of marine litter that we're collecting every day Um, and the 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 units are filtering 500 million liters of water per day as well but it's 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 scaling you know it's measurable impact it's scalable and fortunately it's starting to kind of hit that exponential curve you know what can a thousand units do what could ten thousand you know imagine a hundred thousand and and at the same time you know the the prevention the education the awareness all of that is working on the other side in parallel yeah so yeah yeah um getting there (laughs) uh one more question to ask you before we wrap up because i'm conscious of your time but with the plastic that you collect in the sea bins is there any way are you starting to work towards have you got any ideas on how that could be used yeah absolutely we've got so many ideas but um it's all uh hindered by money yeah and and time and so for us it's the chicken or the egg and because no one no one really knows what the answer to that is but we we need sea bins to collect the rubbish and then our goal is to close the loop mm. on that rubbish. And so, but we need the sea bins first to collect it. 
Yeah. And so that's our chicken or I'm not even yeah, sure if it's yeah. the chicken or the egg, but it's like that's the important one, you know. And then um, it's, it's like how can we get ourselves in a financial position where we can start reinvesting in, in the recycling or the waste management of what we're collecting? And then we realized uh, quite quickly that what we collect is technically right now non-recyclable. Mm. Only probably less than a percent of what we collect is um, traditionally recyclable like the bottles and stuff and but then we found that there is technology that is kind of in like infancy stages so they've got proof of concept but it's not commercial yet of of you can turn soft plastics and biomatter into oil um, uh, petroleum uh, gas or uh, naphtha which is the base product of plastic so Instead of digging a hole in the ground to extract oil, uh, you know, to then to make virgin plastic, you can break the plastic down mm. to extract the original minerals to then make the plastic again. And, yeah, so we've got our sights on one company in particular um, of how we can do a joint venture or a strategic partnership to send them our waste. And But, yeah, it's a work in progress, but it's yeah. it's definitely we're conscious oh, of that. That's so exciting. There's so many different places you could go with that. And, uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen over the next few yeah. decades. Yeah, so I, I think that every problem or crisis prevents an op- uh, presents an opportunity. Mm. So the plastics crisis, you know, has, has presented us with so many issues that we have to address like you know china said that we're not allowed to export our garbage anymore it's probably the best thing that could ever yeah. happen yeah you know we have to look at recycling and and do it internally and you know that that's great it's amazing totally um and then you know for us as well like we, we've actually taken the plunge and um the we're, we're in the middle of developing our next generation of of hardware the, the cbn 6.0 and um, we've partnered up with a company called Boreo, uh, who specialise in recycled fishing nets into products. And so we, we're going to be uh, creating the next gen of the sea bins with uh, recycled fishing nets. That's so good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah, for us, like, it's how can we close the loop? How can we reuse things? How can we, how can we just be better? You could get to a place maybe in the future where the plastics that get captured in the sea bin are used to build more sea bins. Absolutely. That'd be, that's the ultimate. Absolutely. And then phase that out and build windmills or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, man, I love it. You're not only cleaning up our oceans, but you are cleaning up our minds and our consumerist oh, mindset I'm not behind sure. it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, it's personal development for myself. And then, you know, we, we're, just tapping into other people that are smarter than us and and just try to be the best we can with everything but uh yeah definitely a work in progress and um pretty cool that we can do it all from byron shire and mullumbimby you know yeah so yeah awesome man well thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your insight it's amazing hearing a bit more behind kind of who you are and what you guys are doing and the, the 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 really the drive and the why behind the brand and I just, yeah, again, congratulations, and I just honestly wish you guys all the best. Yeah, thank you, mate. Um, Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks, heaps, man. That was great. Oh, how did you feel that way? Uh,